Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. We're here in the podcast studios. I've got Mark Elwood, who's a contributing editor for us. Say hi, Mark. Hello. Just for nice voice to... recognition. I realize all this, all these years we've been doing this and people might not know who's actually speaking. Do you really? Do so you now I'm going to start asking people to say hi. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good It's point. also just friendly. It's also nice. I'm just glad to be. I feel like I'm constantly dialing in from somewhere with bad connections. It's just nice to be sitting next to you, bro. Although it, was, it is nice. It is always nice to have you here. But it was kind of cool to watch you on in the pod while we were doing the pod. That was a nice meta moment. Yeah, you can check that. You can check that episode out if you haven't. Yeah. We have Barbara Peterson here, who is our air travel expert, covers air travel for Traveler and other places, but we like to think of you as Traveler's own. Say hi, Barbara. Thanks. Yeah, good to be here. And Catherine LeGrave, who is an editor for Traveler and who is on the air travel beat. Mm -hmm. Um, Hello. My name is Brad Rickman, and if you haven't guessed already, our subject for the day is going to be air travel. In particular, what is the air travel scene going to be looking like this summer for everybody gearing up for summer travel? By the time you listen to this, it will be Friday the 1st of June. That's when we'll actually release the pod. And that means summer travel season is upon us. Mm -hmm. Um, We just got through Memorial Day, all of us here. We're a little sleepy because it was a long weekend. Catherine, you most recently reported on this for us, and it kind of prompted our thinking here. The title of your story is Air Travel This Summer is Going to Be Nuts, (laughs) which is scary. I think most of us are fearful enough about air travel to begin with. And when you tell us it's going to be bad, we panic. So can we start by you walking through, as you do in the story, What exactly are the numbers here that you're looking at? Sure. So the story is based on a projection from Airlines for America, which is a trade group that represents the largest airlines in the U.S. So for the summer season, which kicks off on June 1st and runs through August 31st, they projected, and they're pretty much always right, um, they said that there would be a record number of travelers this summer. So 246.1 million passengers will fly on U.S. airlines. And they broke it down per day, which is even more fun. Um, That's an average of 2.68 million people per day flying during that period on U.S. airlines. Yeah, just domestically. (laughs) Wow. That is a lot of people. But the deck of the piece is sort of like... Don't worry, it'll be okay. And that's kind of what this podcast is about, right? Talking about ways that you can not go crazy um, during an already busy time. Yeah, but we're not done scaring people yet. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, (laughs) Don't jump to the third act. (laughs) That is an increase 3.7% over last year, which was 237.3 million people flew. And we thought that was a record number. And this year, people are like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not done. More of us are flying this year. And why? So what is behind that? Why are the numbers going up like so that? So part of it is it's already a busy travel season, right? Summer, everybody likes to get out and fly. Really strong dollar, which is a good thing. Um, it means more people are buying tickets and ticket prices are lower. And there's also a low unemployment rate. So those three things together really mean a lot of people are hitting airports. But there are more flights as well as more travelers, aren't mm-hmm. there? This isn't just a question of we're all going to end up sitting on each other's laps. <laughs> there is more capacity in which those people are flying versus every plane being at maximum load factor. Totally. And airplanes are managing this, right? They're looking at the numbers and they're saying, we're going to add collectively, I think it's 116,000 seats a day because we're anticipating that there's this need. And like Mark said, we don't want to get into overbooking. We don't want to have a scenario where we're just cramming people on. No, we're going to 
see this projection and respond to it because it is so accurate. Can I ask a question about the capacity, though? In what form is that additional capacity coming? Does that mean that my knees are just getting squeezed more tightly? Or a good are they bringing new planes online? Are there new routes opening up? What's happening? Well, I think it's both, actually. They have threatened to squeeze us in even more, sort of like sardines. But they have actually... <laughs> they <exactly>, threatened? <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. They, they keep on dropping these hints just to, as trial balloons. And it's had the predictable response, which means they don't go forward with it, which is the good thing. But I think they've more or less pushed the envelope on how much pain will endure. So for now, I think we can assume it'll be you know the same seating, which is hardly great, right? But it's it's not going to get that much worse. But the load factor, which is the percentage of seats mm-hmm. built, that has been going up steadily. You can see these graphs that mm-hmm. the airlines put. I mean, it's just astonishing. It was around seventy percent. That sounds so civilized. And it sounds like only, bliss, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About fifteen like, years oh, ago, yeah. so empty. Yeah, and now it's pushing eighty-five percent. And of course, this summer, you know, it'll be. Pl- I, mean, I always joke that the flights I'm on are always hundred ten percent full because. <laughs> but this is yeah. but Barbara. How mm. high can the load mm. factor go realistically? I know that we now have computers that help us model. But at some point, it'll max out how many connections get missed, or what is the ceiling of the load factor? Yeah, well, that that I think we learned not that long ago with the infamous passenger dragging incident, which was prompted by overbooking and 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 having to remove somebody from the plane. So the airlines had, after that suffered such a black eye, so they promised not to overbook. And I actually think the recent statistics do bear it out that they are being a lot more cautious about that. And they are also going to pay, you know, recently there was even a news report of someone getting enough to pay for the whole vacation. I mean, it was like thousands of dollars, you know, to give up their seats. I will say that I've noticed mm -hmm. that the offers for overbooking, the upfront offers are far more generous than they would have been before. I got an offer, I was going to Las Vegas last weekend, and I got an offer for overbooking that it started at 700 bucks. And Mm -hmm. A couple yeah. of years ago, it would have started at 100, yeah. and you'd have had to, and it started at 700. I didn't take it because I just wanted to get there. But to me, that said, we want to avoid anything close to the tension. Yeah. And the meltdown. Well, in answer to your question, the airlines really, it's in their interest to keep people moving. And the more you have those sorts of issues, the more things are going to go out of whack and you're going to have delays, you know, and, and the worst thing is a delay that's completely avoidable because it was just, you know, their mismanagement of the situation. So I think this summer you will see more of attention paid to that, but you're still going to see the flights at 80%, at least <laughs> on the routes that you, because they're the routes that everybody else wants to fly. You know. Sure. Now, the other thing is, yes, they are adding planes. Most of the airlines, since they've been flushed for the last few years with cash, they're actually profitable. They are you know, acquiring new planes, but they're being very careful about adding a net increase in the number of planes. And that's partly because of these guys right around the corner here, the Wall Street guys, and they're like, uh-uh, don't do that. You've been down that road before. And then you have overcapacity, which to a Wall Street you know, investor is like a, a terrible, you know, that's a sin, you know. But to us, <laughs> it's, you know, we, yeah, I wouldn't mind, a, you know, a slightly less cramped plane. So... Normally, in a situation like this, and perhaps this is more of a macroeconomic question, but normally wouldn't you see when capacity starts to get strained like that, price is going up? But we're not really seeing that. There's still a lot of competition around pricing. How is that working? How are prices not going up to solve this problem? But you see, I think this is what's very clever at the moment. Prices are very low. 
But the airlines have drifted away from what had become standard policy, which was the basic fare you're quoted up front includes all the essentials. As they've done what we call unbundling, which is pick away. It's basically, imagine a ha- imagine an airline seat as a hamburger, and they're pulling <laughs> off the pickles, and then the tomato, and you end up just with a, really good analogy, with a burger in a bun. And then you pick which pickles. As they've done that, I think what you find, if you look past the basic economies, the really bare bones fares, and you start to look at what we're paying, if you really want a little bit of a comfier seed and you want, I don't think they're hurting the airlines are profitable. I don't think the prices are that soft. I think that you can get cheap tickets, but if you want a great experience, you're paying more for it. Right. It's, do the numbers hold that up, Barbara? Yeah. Or am I, is yeah. that just me feeling the victim oh. of overpriced, over, <laughs> no, overcharging? No, I, 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 you're absolutely the, pickle, right. There. Pickle gouging. Exactly. <laughs> Airplane pickle gouging. <laughs> No, it is exactly what is the one at Wendy's or Subway, you know, they did, we'll do it your way, mm-hmm. you know, except, except it really isn't. You really don't want to have to be. But you know what? They've realized that it's been accepted by the consumers, so it's going to stay. And yes, they are profitable, but the fuel prices are going up. And that's the other thing that would That was what I was going to ask you yeah. about, too. Fuel prices are expected to go up yeah, this summer. So. Exactly. And you'll pay at the pump of your driving. And of course, in the, but you won't, interestingly, pay in your airfare because there's still enough competition out there. There are not that many new airlines in the United States. In fact, there really aren't any at all, actually. But there are a lot of airlines coming in from Europe that are new and from elsewhere in the world, too. So competition is really heating up overseas. And that's what we saw. I mean, we've talked about airfare wars here before, right? That's something that we, it was a case where we used to see these flight deals and maybe it would be one or two airlines that you could fly um, from LA to New York or from New York to Paris. And now if we do a flight deal, it's like there are always several airlines because one airline will have these low prices and another airline will want to be competitive on that route and say, no, no, fly and me. And also, remember, we've got all these new planes coming in, the A321neo from Airbus, Boeing 787, which are impressively fuel efficient. So as the fuel goes up, it isn't quite the same challenge as when that amazing 747 <laughs> that you always want to be upstairs in the bubble, as they retire those, they're retiring them. People love the planes, but they're just uneconomical. Whereas like the Premier Air, Bob wrote yeah. an amazing story yeah. about the new airlines coming in from Europe, one of the reasons Primera can even fly the routes it's operating is the A321neo helps it make money out of that. Is that right, Barbara? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, it only holds, what, you know, a couple hundred people. And instead of, you know, Airbus A380 can potentially hold more than 500. So I think that the whole landscape is really shifting. When Airbus built the A380, the expectation was, oh, you know, we're all going to want to fly between the same hubs, and there are going to be more of us flying. Ergo, you know, we need bigger planes. The opposite is happening. There's smaller routes, you know, they call them long and thin, you know, yeah. And um, it actually has really been successful. I mean, look at Norwegian. They fly out of Newburgh, New York, and other obscure airports. Um, at least, you know, they probably wouldn't like it if they hear me say it. But let's face it. I mean, who? No, would those fly are obscure of- airports. <laughs> but, really is that, but is that something yeah. we were talking about earlier? Yeah. Is that something where you would suggest people wanting to avoid these busier airports seek out smaller airports? Or what would you say? I actually think yes. I think they're a better experience. Now, the airfares, though, sometimes are a little bit higher, unless you're flying a Norwegian, because those airports just don't have the critical mass and, and you know to sustain a lot of airlines. So they sometimes pay more. I mean, at least in my airport, 
airport down the road where I live in Westchester. It's a great airport. I love it. You can just pull up and park your car, like be right across from the terminal. It's like a few bucks a day. It's great. But the airfares are fairly high. Well, it brings up an interesting point because capacity doesn't just get strained on the planes themselves, right? So to your point, Catherine, the airports um, are going to start feeling this this pressure as well. And so one of the ways people can cope is by flying out of these other airports. But can we give people, what are the best versions of these? What are the best and most useful versions of these? Because some of them you can fly you know, certain destinations, but you can't fly other destinations. They're good for one thing, but they're not good for another. What are the best ones of those in the major metropolitan areas? What about our survey that we did in the air? No, the ones that always win our readers' choice are the mid-sized airports. You know, they're, they're like the San Diego's of the, you know, Savannah, and uh, I mean, the Savannah's. That's one's pretty small, I have to say, but it's a great airport. I love it, and I'd say Raleigh Durham is great. Uh, it's 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 not huge. Uh, Phoenix is nice. Uh, I if mean, you're in the D.C. area, if you're flying out of the D.C. area, let's say, is there a, a sort of secondary airport that will help resolve some of these crowding issues but well, still let yeah. you get to major destinations? Well, I think BWIs. I mean, it's a, that is a large airport, but it's not as crazy as the other two. So I would say that's a good one. I mean, in in New York, you know, if you want to avoid LaGuardia, which everybody does, and, and JFK, well, the three of them are, they're all very, very crowded. In fact, they're getting more and more crowded. In fact, that's what I was going to say about airports is that, you know, this is going to be a record summer, true, but the pain is not going to be spread out evenly. Some airports are growing exponentially, and then others are shrinking because the major airlines are consolidating their flights at particular hubs, and then the other ones that, well, they're kind of also and then they're really cutting. They're slashing places like Memphis and Cleveland and Cincinnati. And, yeah. I, could, I love mm. Pittsburgh. I've talked about Pittsburgh yeah, many oh, times. Uh, Pittsburgh so, Airport mm. is disproportionately enormous for the service it now has because it used to have USA Air international flights. There's this huge mall on site. It's a very nice airport. It's very user-friendly. But it is a little sad because you can feel the shortfall between the capacity it now operates and what it clearly was built to operate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. St. Louis, that's another one. It was great. It was, it was a TWA hub. It was really busy. They built a huge new concourse. It's empty. It's not, I mean, yeah. one of the, to your question, Brad, one of the things I like to do when searching for flights, right, especially if you're thinking about flying this summer, um, and I, I'm putting in my hometown airport, I'm putting in LaGuardia, say, I, you, you can click a button on most search engines nearby airports, which will usually give you smaller airports. And then you just have to, in my opinion, crunch the numbers and see if it's worthwhile for the bus, however you get there, parking, because it does all add up. I do that when I'm like, oh, it's cheaper to fly out of JFK, but it's also more money for me to get to JFK in some ways. <laughs> and pain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, parking, for example, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big oh, thing yeah. at certain airports. Some of the bigger airports, they make a lot of money out of parking, whereas mm -hmm. the small airports don't. So if you're going to be away for 10 days, you might find that, strangely, even the offset in parking is worth that secondary airport. I agree with you. I always click nearby airports because you never know what it will burp out. Yeah. The <laughs> options it will give you... <laughs> Um, I'm clearly hungry. I think I'm using yeah. too many food metaphors. I'm like, I need, I need a snack. But it's like my parents, for example, live in the middle of Minnesota. And obviously your natural choice is going to be Minneapolis-St. Paul, which is a huge airport, lovely airport, and has so many routes. But it's a case where they've started to fly out of Fargo 
um, which is technically an international airport. Um, <laughs> What's Fargo Airport like? Oh, it's so small. I, <laughs> it's tiny. And right. what carrier can they fly out of Fargo? Can they fly. Um, is it Delta because of because of the the no, Northwest I'm totally legacy? What it's I fly. probably one of those regional partners that you know we. Delta, no, yeah. yeah, no, it is Delta, but it's a it's a connection, right? Yeah. It's a connection, get, yeah, right? Yeah, right? So more often than not, you do have to fly through Minneapolis, right? But you're already past security. My bag's already checked. It's parking is much cheaper. I've done it a few times, and that's an example of sort of a more extreme version just because Minnesota is such a large state and you're going the other direction. But I do think it's also worth remembering the time of day you fly not only makes a radical difference in terms of how busy the airport might be, but how painful your experience will be. And it is true. The earlier you fly in the day, there are not backlog delays. The planes are less likely to not be there overnight. They're ready to go. Even if you're not a morning person, it'll probably be less stressful than rocking up at four in the afternoon in the middle of traffic and the airport has malfunctioned and you've got extra stress. And, you know, we've said this many times early in the morning. I am a morning person. I love that 6 a.m. flight. It's amazing. Some of these international airlines that are spinning up new routes also use alternate airports. Are there any, you know, like Mm -hmm. I know if you fly WOW out of the New York area, they fly out of, I forget, what is the name of the airport in um, in Connecticut that they fly out of? Um, Hartford, right? Bradley Field, is it? Something. Yeah. Maybe Bradley it's upstate International. New York. Stewart? And then there's Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, it's Stewart. Stewart. Newburgh, New York. Yeah. Yes, it, it, so it's upstate New York. Yeah. It's about two and a half, three hours outside of New York City. So that's a that's a trek, <laughs> oh, but the prices are... Oh, they claim it's 60 minutes uh, from Midtown Manhattan. So, you know. <laughs> they disagree with Google Maps. Um, <laughs> you know, they have a and bus. user they, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. user experience. Yeah. And that's one thing that that's another cautionary note. Yeah, I mean, some of these airports. Yeah, I mean, Newark is still, I think, a work in progress, and you know, it, it's a greater because it's enormous. It used to be an air force base. They have the, some of the longest runways in the country, and they're used as a diversion airport for places like JFK. You know, they they can't land in for conditions. Newark, what are, uh, Newburgh. Newburgh. Yeah, oh, Newburgh. Oh, okay. yeah, Newburgh okay. is. Yeah, it's a great airport, but it has had a real tough time trying to attract airlines. And now it's become sort of the cool, you know, alternate airport. But, Catherine, I don't know if you want to... Oh, no, that, that was Meredith. We'll give, yeah. her, we'll give her her time to yeah. shine on another podcast. Episode. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, exactly. But, but there, it's not exactly that easy to get to if you're from New York. But mm. even, I mean, the small airports aside, I think it's worth talking about what big airports are doing as yeah. well to try and prepare for this, right? So the TSA has added... 600 screeners at these larger airports where they have or are anticipating a crush of more people. Um, and they're saying that they'll add another 1,000, right? So starting basically now before summer begins. So spread across these airports um, that we're talking about, right? JFK, LAX, places that most of us in these big cities fly out of just because it's cheaper. Um, and this is a case where most of the pain is going to be felt in the predictable places. It's yeah. going to be felt in those big markets. Exactly. And you're going to see it in the, the longer security line, right? And they're just trying to ease the pain as much as possible by adding more screeners to try and get you through the line as, as much as possible. And of course, their other tip is sign up for TSA pre-check. Which is, but I think it's worth remembering. I, I've I've done a test on this many many times, yeah. and I've stood in the. I, I, as I've said many times, I fly Delta a lot, so I have good seniority in them, so I can use the Express yeah. Sky Priority security 
or I could use the TSA pre-check. And every time <laughs> I've opted for something other than pre-check because the line there looked so long, yeah. pre-check has been faster. So although it seems pre-check like... Or, pre-check or your Delta? Pre-check is always faster. Every time I've been stupid enough to be like, that sky priority <laughs> line looks short. Pre-check does make a difference because it really speeds people through the security point. So even if you're at an airport where pre-check seems to have long lines, it will still be better than the long lines of everyone having to unpack everything. And it is a good investment. If you fly once a year, think about the stress it minimizes. I think it's a very easy. And a lot of credit cards will offset those. A lot of the rewards cards, there are ways... Ways to basically make that. A, well, a precisely, it's fifteen bucks a year if you think about it. So, I mean, really, but that's like, what do you you spend fifteen bucks just getting something to eat at the airport? I mean, yeah. you know, so it really is worth it. But TSA, interestingly, is having a lot of trouble really ramping it up to what you know they they really feel they need. So, they're supposed to be promoting it. Congress is actually pa- on the verge of passing a law called the TSA Modernization Act or something like that, which is kind of ironic. It's not. It's a New agency, frankly, and, and compared to you know other agencies, but it's like already it's like you know you guys have to get your act together on this. It makes a huge difference, as Mark points out. I mean, you really what you do is you get the people who are more experienced in that line. So even if it is technically longer, you know, they're, they're, just quicker. Every time I've every time I've not believed in TSA pre-check, I've been proven a fool. So, yes. (laughs) Well, they've also made it easier and easier to get it, right? A number of airports are now allowing you to do interviews at the airport when you're there. When you land. You can drop in interviews. You can can do an interview after you land. Right. So, you can schedule it so conveniently. If you're someone who travels even twice a year, think about visiting your family once and going on vacation once. You can do the interview when you're on your vacation, and the next time you just have that slightly easier experience. And it, oh, I think it's amazing. Although I have to say, I've got clear, which is the fingerprint experience. And no one can make, can help me understand how it's quicker. I'd love to know if any listeners have clear. The Delta gave me clear as one of my benefits. And so I signed up and I, you know, like, great, fingerprint everything. And instead, it's just some ladies and gentlemen standing by a fingerprint machine. And I go to them and they show the TSA person I've had my fingerprints done. And it doesn't seem... Any faster. You're suppo- yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I did a test of it, too. This was a couple of years ago, and they actually walked me through the gate. You still had to go through security, but they gave me a little sort of escorted path up to that, and I didn't have to do any of the, the, the preliminary things. And then my problem with it was it came time to renew, and I used it literally once. <laughs> and every other time I'd tried to use it, they'd said, oh, sorry, we don't have it at this terminal. So you have to, you know, we only have it over there. I see it all the time, but I just, while I love how futuristic it feels, I hate how jet-lagged I look in the picture that they (laughs) took when I signed up. But... I don't quite understand how it speeds well, up I think the experience. It does. Well, okay, I'll, I'll give the Tell other me. viewpoint because I, do, I have it too, and I just used it too, and and um, it saved. It did save. I mean, you know, in like in the great scheme of things, maybe not, but but it did let me cut ahead. I was at the Delta terminal at um, LaGuardia, and I was flying to Cleveland, and there was this huge long line and the pre-check. You know, and I went in and just gave you know the, did the gosh I think it was my iris actually my eye that was they do they which is a, a, yeah. that is that is that's very creepy. strange yeah. actually but I think that's the wave of the future guys so, to get ready I was immediately allowed to cut the line and that just you know there's I guess I've just not been there when yeah, there no, was a line so so, the, so we should outline <laughs> what the difference is between yeah. 
right. TSA PreCheck and Clear, can you have both? Do they work together? So TSA PreCheck gets you in this expedited security line, whereas Clear lets you cut to the front of the line. Exactly. Put, but you're still in the same line. And then right. it just puts you back in the TSA. You, you know, still have you know, to go yeah. through TSA yeah. even if you have clear, but you don't have to wait in line for Correct. the TSA. They I, escort I, you yeah, up there. Exactly. And that with the... Unless you're Mark, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was doing wrong. I mean, like, I'm a legitimate legal person. They're just taking your fingerprints for some reason and leaving you in line. <laughs> and you're content with that. I don't understand. <laughs> it just hasn't speeded up. And again, I love the idea yeah. of some technology and, the, the, you know, the, using your body as a board pass and all the things they're trialing, but I want to see some net benefit. I'm yeah. glad I didn't pay for it because I would feel a bit swizzed. Yeah. yeah but well, again, well, I got it um, for 99 bucks instead of the 179 that they charge because I am a Delta, you know, Scott Miles member. But I do feel like with the combination of the two, you can't go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Because wherever you are, you'll be able to, you know, find a way to somehow cut the horrible long. And I have to say, unfortunately, with this emphasis on, you know, the, the ha it's again another example of the haves and have-nots, the people who don't have it, you hit the airport this summer in a terrible day when there's usually, you could wait for 45 minutes on the TSA line. In yeah. fact, when I, I typically, I'm, I'm sort of the local Uber driver for my family, so I'm always going back and forth, you know, to the airport. Make and, that money. <laughs> well, what I get out of it is I say, okay, what you have to do for me in return is when you get to the TSA checkpoint, just write down what time it is. And then when you get through the checkpoint, then write down that time and then tell me how long it took. Well, it's frequently 45 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, and that's why I feel I'm really disappointed. I wrote a story, you know, mm -hmm. for Catherine about, you know, the TSA has just consistently not owned up to the fact that they could tell us how long the waits are. They have the technology or the ability. Do they? Instead, well, they could. <laughs> do they, though? If they want. Well, yeah, because you know what? You, it, it, you could actually do it in a very low-tech version, too. When I worked as a... Like the guy standing there yelling, like, it's going to be 45 <laughs> minutes from here. No, but seriously, they could do it. Airports in Europe are doing it. Oh, I was going to say, European yeah, airports yeah. often have signs saying, from here it'll be a 20-minute wait, from yeah. here it'll be a 10. Yeah. There is something a little disingenuous about how in one of the highest tech security checkpoints in the country, they're always like, but we just, oh, we don't know how to tell you how long the wait will be. And you mm. think, oh, come on. I don't think they care. Exactly. <laughs> I just I just, but can I, can I throw two things out there, and you guys can tell me whether I'm wrong about this or, or right about this or whatever. One of the things I feel like has also happened, and I think this is JFK has been my, my, my most recent experience of this, is that some of the innovations in moving people through lines, particularly security, have started to proliferate a little bit. Maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I went through Gatwick and they had, you know, Gatwick is a, an experimental airport. They pioneered some of these things. One of the things that they pioneered was that sort of conveyor system where they had the buckets and you came up mm -hmm. and there was a specific way that they did that. I experienced it there. It was pretty cool. Now JFK has a version of that, at least in, I think, Terminal 5, if I'm not mistaken. Where you line up the version, it's very common in UK airports, and I'm curious if other listeners have seen it proliferate in other American airports. There will be position one, two, three, four, yes. and each of you will wait in individual lines one, two, three, four, and you fill your stuff yeah. at, yeah, your, the bin, yeah. at your... And there's a conveyor belt that yes. brings the bins back instead of just a guy with a, with so a dolly that brings it back. It gets four people simultaneously stashing their stuff in security. Yeah. instead of sequentially one by one and it is much faster and it's very common in Europe but I haven't seen I've seen it JFK I haven't encountered it yeah, at any other domestic airport recently but I'd love to know if any listeners have yeah. 
that was a new thing at JFK. I don't I don't know how long it's been there specifically, but there was definitely a moment at which I'd seen it at Gatwick, and then I saw it, you know, sometime later at JFK, and um, definitely seemed like an improvement. Well, Delta is sort of, again, Delta's kind of out there in a lot of different ways, kind of pushing this in the United States. And they are partnering with the TSA. They've done it at LaGuardia as well. You know, at JFK, I think it is at Terminal 4, which is Delta's terminal. And I've seen it a few other places. But frankly, a lot of it depends partly on the TSA people who are still there, you know, the TSOs helping people understand what they're supposed to do. And they're doing an abysmal job. When I was at LaGuardia just two weeks ago, everybody was complaining. I mean, people were looking at each other like, this is supposed to be an improvement. I mean, this is terrible. You know, so so it's a lot of it has to do with the execution. And Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that in Gatwick, the execution was quite good. uh, Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And again, different time of day, different day of the week, you're going to get a different person on the other side of it. So this could vary widely. But I do feel like there was more of a programmatic approach at Gatwick where there were people there giving very clear instructions. They were funny. They were Scottish. So that was great. (laughs) Um, Whereas there's more of a figure it out for yourself kind of vibe when I've seen it at JFK the two or three times that I have. So you're right. But nonetheless, you do the sort of predictability of the bins showing up and and Mm -hmm. moving through seem to be a little bit better. The other thing I would say is I feel like the... TSA has become more thorough in their inspections, which is also the machines, the passage through the machines. And again, there's inconsistency about that. It varies from airport to airport. It varies from lane to lane. But I do feel like but can we can we pause for a moment? I think we give the TSA a very hard time, and I'm sure we have people listening who work for the TSA. And I do want to say I'm very happy to be hand searched if you're a bit concerned there's something in my bag. Yeah. I would like you to do it with a smile, and I would like you to do it pleasantly, but the delays are also because they're doing their job. So sure, there are some delays that are about it could be more efficiently run, but I think we have to remember we want them to be thorough. And exactly like you're saying, I've been stopped more often, and I always say, you know what, I'm good. You do what you need to do. Please keep me safe. Thank you so much. Yeah, I wasn't saying that as a complaint. I was saying I feel like maybe they've actually raised the standards for inspection, and that's part of what's taking more time. But I will say also, I don't think they have, in many cases, the facilities that they need because as they become more thorough, that means they're pulling more bags aside, which again, I'm fine with. Like, I don't mind. I sort of build that into my schedule. But what I've seen is they get too many bags and they run out of space to actually open the bags because they've got three or four of them happening. So if they just built bigger tables or whatever it is, that would be one way they could speed that up. Or they run out of it agents, right? Yeah. How many of us have been standing there when they say, we need a female assistant and you're standing there waiting for eight minutes? Well, not me. Because, well, yeah, not you. <laughs> just probably not Mark. Says, I need a female assistant. <laughs> <laughs> That's a totally different. That's a totally different podcast. You the, know what I mean. No, no, but I agree with you. What I would say is one little tip. I had a lovely TSA agent talk to me about, uh, explain what some common reasons people are secondarily searched that people don't realize. And he said, nine times out of 10, it's a scented candle. He said, (laughs) scented candles have a wick. And because they have a wick, that oh, could be a detonating device. <laughs> that is and genius. Says, if, you tra- if you buy a scented candle, as I had in Dallas, and I was in Dallas, was coming back, he said, if you buy a scented candle, take it out of the checkpoint, because then they'll just check that it's really a candle. And just walk through holding your hand up like show, this. Take the candle out with your laptop. And he said, it's so funny that the scented candle is one of the commonest delights. That, I'll, just, I'll go one better. Another, just don't buy the scented candle. Yeah. Oh, please. The candle can wait. But no. 
Not Yankee Candle. I love Yankee Candle. Um, but another thing to talk about the TSA, yeah, we're complaining because it takes a long time at the airports, but a lot of it is human error, okay? Let's just like own up to user that. error. Like user, like take out your toothpaste, put it in a clear yeah, bag. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just throwing the TSA another bone here. They're well, just no, doing I, think, their jobs. I think we as travelers can participate and I'm always baffled when people are at the security checkpoint with a big bottle of water Ugh. going Oh, I can't take this through when there are big signs saying no big bottles of water. And then they stand there. Yeah, and they yeah. stand there. Yeah. So I think and then we they, have could, our, they argue with them. Yes. And we have our part to play where there is a sort of general buy-in where do a little bit of your own homework. You don't turn up to the security check and go, how does this work? Yeah. Even if you fly rarely, it's all about being a little prepared. And I, I am baffled by the numbers of bottles of water that get confiscated because don't you watch the news? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Barbara, the International Airlines, you recently took a closer look at this. What are some of those and what are they doing these days? What are they up to these days? Yeah, well, there are some new names out there, which is amazing because it's really refreshing to see that, you know, actually it's not all, you know, over. You know, there some crazy people still want to start up an airline. Of course, most of them technically aren't really startups, which I'll get to. So, but yeah, there are some new players. Um, there's one called Primera. Um, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, but anyway, it's, it's sort of a very no frills, but they've got great fares and they are Where are they based? But well, okay, even with that, you sort of get a lot of different answers. They may be based in Denmark and <laughs> Latvia. Latvia. They're, yeah. Balt they're Baltic yeah, yeah, adjacent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're sort of one of those people, if they were a human being, they'd have one of those accents that sort of wobbles uh -huh. between, like they'd be the Madonna of airlines. They'd sort of sound slightly British, sometimes slightly American. But the thing that's interesting about Primera is often those airlines will advertise very cheap fares. And I was doing a TV segment about Primera and I looked up the $99 fares and they really were available. Not just available on the first day they launched, but at certain times of the year, there really was a 99 one way from New York to out just outside London, which is kind of incredible. You're not getting anything but a seat for that. You're but getting a burger. That is okay. <laughs> that's a I burger am, with no bun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that is okay. That is a fantastic price to go to somewhere even just outside of London. Exactly. No, but if you think about it, I mean, you can't really complain if you have paid $99 to fly transatlantically as long as you know what you're getting. Yeah. But I think a 99 buck fare that's really available on an A321neo, yeah. so it's a jet lag busting plane. It's so talk about good. this plane for a second because I'm not familiar with it yet. The A321neo, that's a new generation from Airbus. Yeah, basically just a newer, better version of the A320, which was of course their analog to the 737. It's a narrow body, you know, single aisle plane. Now to fly that across the pond is, I think, for some people, a little bit of a stretch because it's not the wide bodied, you know, I mean. You know, I mean, look, we, we've all look, we've long said goodbye to the seven four sevens, but still, we'd like to have a big plane. You know, when we're so yeah, they're pushing again. They're pushing the limits there. It just has the range to go to the airports in Europe that are pretty mm -hmm. much on the edge of Europe. So I mean, yeah. Barbara was right. There's yeah. been there was a fascinating Airbus and Boeing. They staked their futures on two different approaches to the future. Of it was one bet the house on red, one bet the house on black. <laughs> uh, Airbus said. Big airplanes, sort of like a bus. Boeing said, more routes, uh, smaller numbers of people flying on each plane. And it turned out that mm -hmm. Boeing was right. Yeah. And what Airbus has done is rush to catch up. And the A321neo is it's, oh, us, oh, we like the 787, you can use mm -hmm. this too. And the A380 is really struggling. 
And, you know, its resale value is going to be very difficult if they discontinue the A380. Essentially, the airlines that bought that giant plane have bought the equivalent of an, an airline money pit, you know, that house that you can never sell. Yeah. So the A321 Neo, I can't, I've never flown one and I can't wait to try it because the 787 jet lag impact was enormous for me when I flew it back from Australia. And I suspect mm-hmm. the cabin pressurization and all the things that don't sound very sexy, it's not about the cool lighting and it's not about, wow, amazing cocktails. It's about the fact the air is better and the yeah. pressure is better. Yeah. And you don't realize how much that contributes to a pleasant experience. What is the one that Air France flies between New York and Paris? Is that the A380? Yes. So that also, to me, if they've managed to get that technology into a smaller plane, that's pretty impressive because for me too, the jet lag impact was impressive on that plane. Absolutely. And if you're looking at travel this summer, go to Seat Guru and find out what aircraft is scheduled to run on that route. Because if you're in a newer aircraft, it will probably be more pleasant. If the aircraft has been refitted, it will be more pleasant. The seats might be a little closer together, but there'll be power ports at every seat. Well, let's recap just for a second, just to go all the way down. Like, what are the specific planes people should be looking for? Yeah. Well, and that gets back to some of the new airlines. One of them yeah. is French B, which I love. French B, B-E-E. Um, and they um, they used to be French Blue. But then when they realized they wanted to start flying out of U.S. airports, they thought they might run into some confusion, perhaps, with JetBlue. So they said. Um, and they just have a few routes. But they're flying the A350, which is a wide body. But that's the... Airbus version of the Dreamliner, the 787, and that is a state-of-the-art plane. So that's also standing the sort of, you know, the new entrant startup airline model on its head, because the way they used to start up was, well, get a few old creaky planes and, you know, and we can charge really low fares. But this is a great airplane, and they're flying from San Francisco to Paris, just three days a week, but really great fares. And they're also flying from San Francisco to Tahiti. So I mean, that's it's a I mean it's a it's a very interesting new company. And we also have Level, which is the sort of progeny of the British Airways Iberia Group (IAG), and they're flying. They're going to start flying to New York, which is great news for us guys here. But they're also from, flying to San Francisco, Barcelona, right? Yeah, Barcelona, okay. and also Paris. Then they're going to start up a, a new operation out of Paris. So because of the EU, you know, there's a lot of these you know airlines that we always thought were sort of legacy national flag carriers, and they would only fly out of their home countries. That's all. I think think Bob is making a really, really good point, which is the historic model for new airlines, especially cheap ones, was they would buy really crappy secondhand planes and you'd open the the overhead bin and the instructions would be in a different language from the one you were flying in. They had that stale cigarette smell baked right in. (laughs) (laughs) They were old Italian planes. But, you know, that was the model. And so the experience wasn't so good. Now, because of fuel efficiency, those airlines often pioneer the new planes and new planes are always nicer to fly in. They work on the technology. And if you look for those A350s, the A321neo, the Boeing 787, you find you're on one of those planes and it's going to be a better experience. Yeah. 
for yeah. sure. Yeah, Norwegians started that with it. They bought a huge bunch of 787s, and that really made them because passengers loved them. Now, occasionally, when they, they grew too fast, they'd have to swap in some really you know weird old borrowed airplane. plane. <laughs> yes, yeah. but it is that, worth. Yeah, I do yeah, when I'm yeah. booking a flight before I book a flight. I will often go to Seat Guru, mm -hmm. not just to check the seats, but I want to find out what plane is scheduled to fly. If I have a little bit of flexibility that day, and I think, ah, oh, shall I take the 7 p.m., the 9 p.m., I'm going to go and check both what seats are available, but which plane is it? Yeah. Oh, is it that old 767? Oh, I should take the 9. And it's very easy to find out that information. Mm -hmm. it, they can change the aircraft out at any moment. But if you plan ahead, you could end up in those comfy new seats, and it won't cost you any more. I also feel like that's a graduation point to becoming a certain kind of traveler, where you're actually paying attention to which plane it is and making a decision that I'm going to fly to say, that. I will call out to my friend Rob Jackson, who is who is who is a who travels f for vacation more than I travel for work, and he's my human seat guru. I just say to him, which of these planes is better, and he will give me a full rundown. He knows more about aviation than any of us, and we're all paid to know it. Now, are there airlines that do a better job of doing their specific version of some of these planes than others? Because every airline's version of a 787 is going to be different, right? So who does a really good job? I'd say first tell me what class I'm flying in. <laughs> yeah, tell me what class of uh, I can afford to fly in, and then I will tell you which one is better. No, seriously, it all has to do with that. I mean, you know, even Norwegian has a nice little sort of premium. I mean, it's kind of an ersatz premium. I mean, it's not you know not lie flat seats or anything, but it's it's, and you know that's definitely a good value. But most of them, you know, coach is coach is coach. You know, yeah. I, I you know I mean some of them. Yeah, Mark's right. You should study the seat maps because some air airlines on the wide bodies are adding a seat across, you know, there's this whole big, you know, thing, and this gets into this aviation geek thing, uh, you know, nine across versus 10 across. Exactly. Yeah, but, and that yeah, makes yeah, a big yeah, difference. Yeah, Air France yeah. has long flown 10 across. And I am a standard issue human being. I am average everything. And I am squeezed in a an Air France seat. And now many of the other major carriers you will have heard of will squeeze in an extra seat like that. And you do notice. You don't have to be overweight to notice. And it, again, just check. Maybe you don't want to be on the brand new plane if it's 10 across. You want to be on the plane that's a little older but has mm. more room. Yeah. But you can find that out. And I think that's what things like Seat Guru are so good at because they just give you information for free that you can use. So what else can we tell people to do to prepare for this busy, busy summer travel season. Don't have a smart suitcase. I think one of the yeah. things... If, <laughs> You've been talking to Seb. I, I've always hated smart suitcases, and Seb wrote an amazing... Our colleague Seb wrote an amazing piece on the site. Please read it. He encapsulated every... His screed. Every, every, <laughs> everything I think that's so ridiculous about suitcases. But suddenly suitcases came with batteries, which is just another thing you have to remember to charge. But now, of course, the airlines are making it really hard to fly with those, and two of those startups have now gone out of business because of that problem. Do not have a bag with a built-in battery because it could give you a whole load of hassle. Or if you do, make sure that that battery is easily removable and make sure that you take it out before yeah. you go through. I was flying a, a nameless airline the other day and they told me, so I have an older model. of Why wait, are they nameless? No, it's okay. It was Alaska. And they told me that if I have... Sorry, you break up sorry, the pressure. You? Really? You I would really... We're okay, I'll tell story. you. It's okay. We can sit. Because um, I like Alaska. Uh. But 
Anyway, they told me that this is like your friends. They can have flaws and you can want them to get better. Okay. Anyway, they told me that I would have to carry the, like, if I had the battery taken out, because I have an old away suitcase, that I would have to show them the battery in my hand, which totally defeats the purpose. Anyway, the point is, (laughs) smart suitcases. If you have an away bag, by the way, you can get your first model replaced so you can have that ejectable battery. Fun fact. Because I complained about that. that's a super fun fact. I said, like, I have this first version of the suitcase. What are you guys doing? And they were like very apologetic. They'll send you a kit where you can do it yourself, which I haven't decided if I'm going to do that, or you can make an appointment. They said it takes 15 minutes. They'll do it for free. So basically your bag will be like the second model where you can just pop the battery in and out and then show them. So the most recent ones, you can just... Yeah, you can just like press a button and it sort of ejects. The first version, you have to unzip the inside of the suitcase and then unscrew it with a screwdriver. And it's a real pain. And again, you know, I'm sure people love those bags, but it is important. The airlines are really all over those batteries. So do take Mm -hmm. it out. Plan ahead. When you get to the airport, have it in your hands. I know it's annoying, but maybe you shouldn't have bought the bag with the battery in it. And by the way, (laughs) pro tip, people, like, buy, I mean, I love Away and I love my Arlo Sky, but, you know, buy a regular suitcase that you like and that's fine and that has really good wheels and then buy the battery because the battery, if you just buy it by itself, costs $25, not $75. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can get the same capacity battery and just now that you can't store it in the suitcase, why bother? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what else? Well, I was just going to say, definitely bring. I'm, I, I know it's radio. Barbara's so holding up a battery. You got your, this, is, this, is, this is an audio program, Barbara. <laughs> That's. What I was just going to say, if you can visualize this. No, I swear by these. I have one. You know, what the is that bat, thing? The little. Well, this one is a fun one. I got you know partly airline, partly hotel, but it's it's it looks ridiculous. But what you have to do is assume that when you go to a crowded airport on one of the busiest travel days, there will be lines of people waiting to charge their cell phones or, and, or laptops or whatever. So. Go with your nice little travel thing. I mean, I you know, it's a sort of a pain because you always have to make sure it's charged up before you leave home. And I, I've learned through many mishaps that, yes, you, you do need to plan ahead for that. But come with just a few little gadgets, and they're very light and very – just get those – in your bag, you know, have them always there, ready to throw in. See, I, and, take, an, I mm-hmm. take an adapter strip because not only is that useful to use in, in hotels and you can plug all your gadgets in together and you never forget them, but if you're in a crowded airport, you can go up to someone who's got their device plugged into the outlet you want to use and say, hey, could I plug you into one of the four here so more of us can share that? Would that be okay? Smart. And you get the power and you also let a couple of other people use it. Oh, and you get to meet new people. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so interested in that. I'm just interested in charging my device. I've got four slots left, 20 bucks each. <laughs> there you go. Now you like that better. Yeah. I'm like, well done, yes. Catherine. I'll take you with me next time. Um, why is the power situation on planes still so damn bad? Even on these newer planes, I don't feel like they've made the quantum leap I'm expecting so that I can recharge my battery or charge my phone on the plane. It's still terrible. Like those USBs are so slow. What's going on with that? Mm. Nobody has an answer. Well, I think it's just, it's expensive to refit a plane, first of all. And then the charging speeds on planes is not, it's, it's capped. Right, so it's limited well, I, to. I, believe, I don't have that number off the top of my head. Sa- I believe there are some safety requirements around the power that can be coursing through the plane. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Like you yeah. plug your phone in and it's fine. You plug your iPad in I think, and you I can't think charge the, it. I think the point that Barbara made is very important. I just assume when I'm traveling, I have two batteries that I travel with: one for my laptop that will be my laptop a full charge, 
one for my phone. My phone, I'm holding up my phone with an extra battery case. You got a, is that a Mophie? What do you got? It's a sort of, it's no, it's a generic thing from China because I want to be able to plug my lightning into yeah. my phone. But I just, batteries, 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 batteries. They are the most useful thing to have when you're traveling because you're never vulnerable. You're not relying on finding an outlet, the outlet working, having long enough to stick around. So I always carry at least two batteries. Yeah. And people make fun of me for it until they need them. <laughs> until they're borrowing it. And then, then they say, oh, that battery I mocked you for having in your bag, does it have any power? Yeah, this, crea- this has created more fights between me and my wife because I get very resentful that I have brought my three batteries and she has not brought any batteries and now she needs my batteries to charge her phone. Is that not because she knows you'll think ahead? It's the, yes, it's that syndrome where if you know somebody else is going to take care of it, you just don't do it yourself. See, I wonder if there are any couples listening, if this is a common <laughs> thing where there's like a there's the like the podcast, battery person. Batteries. No, because no, 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 it happens to me too. The battery person and then the person who leans on the That's battery right. person. That's right. the leech. I mean, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The power leech. That's yeah. a real Catherine, strong feeling. you and your husband? Where, where does that fit? We both pack batteries. Oh, man. I, a perfect marriage. Yeah, exactly. Year one. <laughs> Um, my summer travel tip, no, uh, I don't know. Is what, marry well? Yeah, marry well. No, my summer, I, I'm just a planner, right? So I'm going to say that one thing you can do to maybe minimize stress is just check in 24 hours beforehand. That way you know if things are changing, get your on seat. Your, on your phone? On your phone, right? Yeah. Get. I'm a big proponent of like airline apps just because you have it all in one, you get those updates that appear and see. May I, I yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. I always, I always cross-reference. Flightaware is my favorite mm. app. If there is a problem with my flight, it will be clearer and more reliable in Flightaware than any airlines. Then on the Delta app. Then on the Delta app, you'll get more information on the flight. And Flightaware often has a little button which will say, "Where is my plane now?" So you mm. can see oh. if the aircraft you are due to board mm. in three hours is five hours away, and they haven't flagged the delay, yeah. or if the aircraft is literally sitting on the taxiway. So it's probably going to be okay. And I find that very helpful. And I look on Flightaware. I look to see how often that flight is delayed because it shows you that week's takeoffs. Oh, that's it's brilliant. So you think, oh, almost all of them took off half an hour late. Okay, so it's probably mm. going to be about half an hour. Mm. And like you, as long as I know, I can cope with it a lot better. So I, I find FlightAware super, super helpful. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan of them too. Good, yeah. I'm glad. I was no, waiting for Barbara to say, Barbara knows way more than I do about this. And I was oh, waiting for no, Barbara no, no. to say, you're completely wrong, but thank you. Oh, that's no, good. no, it's great because exactly the, the way most airlines build, they build their schedule. I mean, the flight's coming from somewhere else, right? You want to know if it even took off. If you ask a gate agent that, you will never get a straight answer. And the other bit I'd add to that, though, is, is if you get to the airport and everything's heading south, don't don't go off. Start to the drinking bar. heavily. We've covered, we've covered that in many podcasts. Yes. Well, I, that that was my inclination, but my husband driving me and said, "No, let's go down and find out what's going on." We actually found out that the flights were so delayed that the flight that was supposed to leave two hours previously was still sitting there out there on and you know at uh. the gate. We actually somehow managed to get on it, but that was you know, but but oh. know, but really be you know really be on top of it. Be sort of sit proactive. Toward, yeah, exactly. Check the yeah. arrivals. Which is another. Board or active. your flight aware. However, See where your plane yeah. is. But 
back to the gate. I, I look, the gate agents have a hard job. I think they're, it's harder yes. even than the TSA, and they they get the information last apparently. And so when the flight was ready to board, someone actually came on and said, "Well, we're ready to board, but we're still looking for a pilot." <laughs> and, and that's no. And so the rest of us are looking. It's like, do we really want to get? On are you this looking for volunteers? Exactly. <laughs> Who wants to give it a go? <laughs> And they actually said they did know. And then someone said, well, where is your pilot? They said, we have no idea. And so we either thought that maybe the pilot was down there in the bar. But I don't know. I shouldn't say that. That's, you know, they would never do that. But, yeah, it was. Yeah, He's right a, here. <laughs> he was delayed, so he thought like the rest of us. No, but I think, I, I do, I think FlightAware is a very good way of getting information because often in those scenarios, you feel that you can't trust information or you can't get it. I've never mm-hmm. had FlightAware lie to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like a, a really trustworthy nanny for travel. And you say, nanny, fly to where, tell me, and fly to where, will tell you. So are we all here, I don't want to make this assumption, so I'm asking, are we all here early arrivers? Oh, okay. I am. Hours you, you, and hours yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. Barbara? Yes, I am, but I have the same situation I think you do. My husband is like, really likes to, you know, yeah. go cut it put, close. Yep, yep. So that's. Even though yeah. I have TSA pre check, I will show up. But I'd rather sit at the lounge yeah. and work. Yeah. See, yeah. I'm, I'm of that opinion. I'm of opinion yeah. that one of the ways that you cope with this type of anxiety is you just get there as early as you possibly can. Yeah. And if it's, you, I'm going to work anyway, so why wouldn't I just get there, yeah. have a glass of wine, and sit with my laptop? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see that. I don't see the. Again, it's like gate hugging i'm completely unashamed which we we need to to, to stand to go out yeah. on gate hugging i'm right. completely unashamed to stand right by the gate and hover absolutely i hover because I, there's nothing cool about not hovering we're not at school we don't have to prove how cool we are i don't barge past people with unaccompanied minors or mili- military vets but yes i'd like to board with my early boarding group and don't give me some stink eye for being keen to get my bag up overhead. That's what everyone wants. This is another whole podcast, and we've, we've had it, and we'll have it again. But, you know, now the way everybody treats carry-on luggage, right, nobody wants to check anything, and people bring horrendously large, I'm just going to say it, luggage and contribute to this problem. If you're not at the front, the chances of you, like yeah. every person back, the chances of you getting your bag yep. into the overhead bin just diminish and diminish and diminish. Anyone who gate huddles, you can come hang with me. I don't care how dorky we are. I don't care how judged we get. I'll be on the plane with my bag If it overhead. makes you feel better, do it. Exactly. I think that's a great point. Like, whatever assuages your own anxiety, yeah. you know, but don't show up. I just say, don't show up 20 minutes before the plane is taking off and whine about the fact that things are chaotic. You're the reason it's chaotic. <laughs> it's gonna, you. I'm, I'm we're all, go we're real, all not yeah. stressed about summer say, travel. I think, no, but I think the interesting thing is I'd like to hear from anyone who is a last-minute arriver. Oh, about we have, how, we have a few of them. How, yeah. how we're the stressful ones. Like I know some of the listeners will be thinking, you guys are crazy. Why are you there hours before? Isn't that so, Meredith? Yeah, Meredith yeah, is Meredith. Uh, People have heard her. Long-time listeners have heard Meredith uh, say, like, eh, I just show up. No problem. <laughs> I don't me, understand these people. It makes me anxious to even think about it. Yes, no, absolutely. my husband likes to, his perfect scenario is walking up to the gate as they've started boarding. So he'll show up to an airport 30 minutes, but it just makes me... Anyway. Does he check his luggage, though? <laughs> no. I think you can only yeah. do that if you check your luggage. It, it just, it makes, even talking about this, I'm, t- I'm getting on a plane in a couple of days and I'm like, my flight is at 9 p.m. I will want to be there by about 6.37. Oh, I will absolutely. be in the gate by 
805. And that's domestic. Yeah, this yeah. is domestic. International, back it out by oh, an hour please. and a half. <laughs> But you actually sort of like Air Force, I think. I'm, I'm getting that impression. that you Because, know, see, I do. To see, my secret advice is that I just love going to airports. I love surfing the shops. I love mm-hmm. I love duty-free shopping. I mean, I get, I mean, just, I mean, I'm weird, right? I like to try new restaurants. No, and I actually, think... airports are getting better. I mean, maybe we should airports give them a shout-out. Airports can be a joy. Yeah. And that, yeah. I agree with you. Like, I love yeah. being in an airport. It feels, it still feels really glamorous. And it still feels amazing because you're at the beginning of this trip that's going to be full of potential and interesting things. And don't lose sight of you're at the airport because you're taking an amazing trip. True. So don't let that. I be do the like focus. the judo move of turning what is supposed to be a negative into a positive. Get there. It's a great chance to get if you do it the way we've been describing. Bring your batteries. Bring all your things. Get there early. You can actually get a lot of things done, whether that's reading a book, whether that's doing some duty-free shopping, which I did for the first time in Scotland. What did you buy? Whiskey. <laughs> of Sorry. course. Stupid question. It was amazing. Um, and, and you know, like you, you, turn, you turn that thing that's supposed to destroy your day into the beginning of your trip, which is kind of a fun thing. Hmm. All right, there you go. Nice ending. Nice yeah. ending. I think I planned it. <laughs> Just exactly this like is, that. This is completely scripted, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Why do I never uh, get the script then? <laughs> <laughs> because you're such a great improviser. <laughs> it would just completely mess up your mind. Oh, would it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and get many more fabulous episodes just like this one. We are on iTunes, we are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. The Women Who Travel podcast is ongoing. Please do subscribe to that. Earlier this week, we just released their most recent episode, which is about road trips. So planning your road trip, um, take a listen to that. To subscribe to the podcast. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. And do tweet at us. Let us know what your summer travel plans are. And if you have any strategies for coping with the stress of air travel, particularly crowded seasons of air travel. We would love to hear them. We'd love to retweet them to your fellow travelers. So send us feedback, review us on iTunes. Mark, how can people give feedback to you? You can give me feedback on Twitter. I am Mark J. Elwood, Mark with a K, Elwood with two L's. Barbara? On Twitter at Peterson B. And Catherine? I'm on Twitter at KJ LaGrave. It's an all Twitter crowd today. I am at Brad Rick. Thanks and have a great weekend, everybody. Welcome to summer. <laughs>